the book of Isaiah, chapter number 57. We're going to read three verses tonight in preparation for tonight's message. Isaiah chapter 57. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 13. We're going to read 13, well, 14, 15, those verses. So it is three verses. Isaiah 57, verse number 13. When thou criest, let thy company deliver thee, but the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them. But he that putteth his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. And shall say, cast ye up, cast ye up, prepare the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. Our God in heaven, we are privileged and grateful once again for the privilege of being Christians and of having a place we can come where our friends are and people of like precious faith and we can open our Bibles and we can listen to the music and we can participate and we can enjoy a church family and more than anything else, Lord, we can covet and pray for and anticipate your presence knowing that where two or three are gathered together unto your name that there you are in the midst thank you for that i pray father that you would just bless us in our service tonight we don't have any desire except to meet with you and to worship you tonight in spirit and in truth and i just pray for each family here tonight uh, whatever our circumstances are whether we're here by ourselves whether we're here with young children whether we're just here with our spouse just give us the ability lord at some point during the service or message or both to be able to absorb some sense of the reason you brought us and the message that you may have for us. Thank you that you can communicate that on many fronts, and I pray you'll bless now on this particular wavelength as we look into your word. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Well, this evening, I would like to remind you of the fact that six Sundays from today, so I've been talking about four Sundays from today is Will Galkin, but six, I'm sorry, is Easter. But six Sundays from today is Will Galkin. And so we start an opportunity into special meetings that we have um, every so often. The reason I phrase it to you that way is, is because uh, when the Galkin team comes or you get someone like the coffee team or someone like that, um, you don't just have one person come with his wife or his family Uh, but you have a number of people coming, you have a full-fledged team, and of course then we're able to enjoy and absorb any number of other amenities that come along with that. So we have a great opportunity upcoming for us, and I'd like to just sort of start talking about this a little bit, and I was sharing with someone this past week, I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, because I always like to try to prepare for upcoming big events in the the church calendar, so to speak. I don't mean Calvary's church calendar. I mean the church calendar, and that's Easter. And yet these revival meetings are coming, and I can't do both at one time. And I saw exactly how it was working insofar as the Sunday morning messages were concerned. And then the Lord seemed to just point out, well, use the evening services. And I I realized that we don't have maybe as many people here on Sunday evening as we do have on Sunday morning. But I'll tell you this, we have enough people here that if we got... Uh, a sense of this and the Lord were to speak to our hearts it could make a huge difference in what's upcoming with these meetings so I want to begin tonight with a message that I've entitled is revival an outdated term 
is revival an outdated term? Have you sort of noticed that things have changed some in the last 25, 30 years? We're now living in a day when, for whatever reason, I'm not saying this except to draw your attention to a fact, we seem to be uncomfortable with some terms that in the past we just accepted. I'll give you an example of maybe the most obvious of these, and that would be the term fundamentalist. Used to be that we didn't really have any discomfort. We embraced that term, we used that term all the time. That's not true today. There are many, many people who go to Bible-believing churches who are just uncomfortable with the use of that term. And there are a lot of reasons for that. I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's a fact. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One, of course, is the fact that, as with any movement, we have our blemishes, there's no question about that. We've had plenty of blemishes over the years and sometimes those things have just been negative things that have made some people want to distance themselves from that and look for a different term. And of course, a second really obvious reason is the fact that <clears throat> in the media, every wacko and kook anymore is called a fundamentalist and so especially as we've had trouble with some of the um, Islamic extremists and they're called fundamentalists, well then that sort of spills over so anything that's fundamentalist must be radical and you, you get the picture. So many, many people have become increasingly uncomfortable with the term. And again, if you're just hearing me for the first time, I'm saying, I'm not saying that's right, I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm just saying it's a fact. And there are reasons for it. Um, I'll give you another really good example. It's become increasingly a trend and it's a trend not only in starting churches, so in other words, startup churches, but many churches that have been in existence for years and then different ideas come along, maybe a different pastor comes in and all of a sudden they decide they're going to change the name of the church. And the most common iteration of that now is a community church. I'm not criticizing community churches. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's wrong to use that name. I'm simply saying that that is something that we see very much nowadays, that people want to sort of distance themselves from some of those names in the past, like a Baptist church or another type of a name of a church. For whatever reason, there are lots of reasons to explain these things, but we're seeing a lot of that. Now I'll tell you something else. Revival kind of fits in with this whole thinking here. And you have many people today for, who for whatever reason just a little uncomfortable with using that term anymore. And we can talk about special meetings and we can talk about maybe even evangelistic services, although there might be some discomfort with that as well. But there are many people who just don't care to talk about revival or revival meetings anymore. Why do you suppose that's true? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that too, but one of them is, is that for many people today, they're just uncomfortable with the image of Christianity or services at their church that might convey to people that you're going to invite them or they're going to come or even the people who go to the church are going to be asked to come to services where there may be some very strong preaching, there may be some very forthright preaching, and you might even be given an invitation some places have stopped giving invitations because it just makes them uncomfortable. The idea of confronting people or asking them to come forward. Occasionally when you read some of the discussion about this, some people refer to as this now as guilting people or guilt-tripping people. 
And so there are a lot of interesting things that just sort of swirl around in some of the thinking that's generally out there nowadays. And I think revival, the term revival, has been somewhat caught up in some of that. So my question tonight is to ask, revival is revival an outdated term? Should we move on? Should we jettison that term or should we still continue to use it? And if we decide that we still should continue to use it, well then let's decide why that's a good thing to do and get some uh, biblical roots and get some biblical relevance. So to answer the question tonight, is revival a biblical term or is revival a, an outdated term? I'd like to ask four additional questions. And the first one you see up there and that is, is revival a biblical term? Now, why would you ask that question? Because it allows you to draw a distinction. Because if you talk about fundamentalist, that's not a term in the Bible. Over the years, it's been a good term, a useful term, especially back in the earlier part of the last century, the 1920s and 1930s and beyond. It was a very helpful term to identify those people who were responding against modernism and liberal theology. But as I say, over the years, it's kind of grown into more disfavor. So you kind of think about that. You kind of decide what's best for us. Do we want to use that term anymore? But unless it's a part of a greater tendency to slip on your part, it's not like you've jettisoned a biblical term if you decide another term is better to use in a certain context. Revival's different because revival is truly a term that you find in the Bible. And so that makes a difference. If we're going to say that we shouldn't use a term anymore, if we're going to say that it's outdated, but then it's a term that the Bible chooses to use, well, that might make a difference in our thinking. That might make us want to come back and reevaluate whether or not we want to include revival in that whole kind of swirl that's out there of distancing ourselves from terms that we just are not comfortable with anymore. So here are some facts and figures. The term revival occurs 16 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And I put it that way simply because there are lots of versions that people consult now. So I, I want to be sure you know where I'm getting my statistics from. 16 times within 15 verses, some form of the word revival. So it might be revival, it might be reviving, it might be you know, a different form. But some form of that word occurs. The verse in which some form of that word occurs twice is actually the verse that we're using for our text tonight. Isaiah 57, 15, it occurs two times within the one verse. Now here are some other pieces of information. In the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, you find one key term. So this is not as if in 14 verses in the Old Testament because 14 of the references occur in the Old Testament. It's not within the Old Testament 14 references you've got three or four terms in the original. No, it's always basically either this word that I'm going to tell you next or a derivative of this word. And it's in the Old Testament, of course, mostly written in Hebrew. It's the Hebrew verb chayah, which means to live. That's important because it's going to help us understand what's at the root of the meaning of the term revival. It means to live and it has derivative senses of the idea of to restore life or to recover life or to revive. 
The New Testament is similar. The New Testament uses a compound. I was talking about this morning about how Greek does that so often. So you have a key term, which in Greek is zao. It's the verb that means to live, the same exact root idea and concept as the Old Testament word, except that now you come along, you hang this preposition on the front of it, which gives it the distinctive flavor of to live again, to have new life, which is what re in English does, revival. And so when you put all of this together, you come up with the New Testament translation revival. Let me show you this. So let me stop talking about facts. And if you want to turn, fine. If not, you can listen as I read these verses. I'm not going to turn to a huge number of verses tonight, but you might find it helpful to look at a few of these. So the first of them is Romans chapter 7, verse 9. You'll get some idea then of how this idea of life plus something on the front of it that sort of slants the meaning towards again, living again, restoration of life, revival. You'll kind of see it as Paul talks about it. Romans 7, 9, Paul says this, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What's that mean? It means he was going along in ignorant bliss. It means he was thinking he was okay until all of a sudden the Holy Spirit used thou shalt not lust or covet and it caused sin it caused his consciousness to become keenly aware of sin it was as, as if sin sprang to life in his life and so it's translated here sin revived and i died if you turn over enough pages to get to chapter 14 same book so you don't even have to go very far romans chapter 14 and if you look with me now at verse number nine You'll see the other verse. This is the only other New Testament occasion. Both of them are in the book of Romans. Both are translated revive some way that way. Romans chapter 14 and also in verse number 9. Look at that. He says, For this, to this end Christ both died and rose and revived. So that one's not too hard to figure out. It's talking about the fact that Jesus did. He came to life again. He revived. He rose from the dead. He received new life. So we can figure out the sense of that. When we go back to the Old Testament, and again, we're not going to look at all of these, but some are helpful. If we go back to the Old Testament, here's what we see. We find some literal uses where, like in Romans 14.9, it's talking about life that's restored. So the first one of these that I go to, there are only two of these that I wanted to use as illustrations. 1 Kings chapter 17. And this comes from the story of Elijah. And I think you'll be familiar with this because... 1 Kings 17 is where you have the, the great standoff um, and uh, you have Elijah. He's, he's, he's met with, uh, the Lord sends him because he's, he's kind of fallen into disfavor now and his preaching hasn't made him very popular with Ahab. And so the Lord sends him to the widow of Zarephath and there he goes and she has that uh, barrel of meal and that little cruse of oil and uh, he goes there and he says, he wants something to eat, and she says, well, you came to the wrong place. All we've got is a, enough for a, got two sticks and got a, enough meal and a little oil to make a cake, and we were going to make that, eat that, and die. And he says, well, go and make me one first. <laughs> you remember that? And that story, and then it leads to the story of the miracle and how the oil kept on filling and all of that. Well, then you get to the place in the story where the widow's son died. And so in verse 
22 of chapter 17, it says, The Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. So it was a literal restoration of life. We have the same thing happen in 2 Kings. So you're there, you're not far away, and I'm going to move us forward. So if you went back and looked at this, all you're going to have to do is just move forward a little bit. 2 Kings now, 2 Kings chapter 13. And we're just doing a little spade work here, information work, till we sort of move off. We're trying to lay a foundation, so just be patient. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21, have a look. It says, and it came to pass as they were burying a man. So you kind of remember this story. They get under a little pressure because they're burying this guy and they might ordinarily like to take some time. But all of a sudden this band of raiders comes in and they don't have time. So they let this guy down into the tomb of Elijah. And it says there in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 13 verse 21. And it came to pass as they were burying a man that behold they spied a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down he touched the bones of Elisha and he revived and stood up on his feet. Well I'd like to see that sometime wouldn't you? Well, it'd be really interesting to go to the funeral home for a visitation and walk up to the casket and have the guy sit up and say, hey, hi, Tom, how are you? <laughs> well, yeah, that'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> probably take, go out the door in a big hurry or make a new one where there wasn't one, I don't know. But it sure demonstrated something about the power and the legacy of this man of God. That's really amazing. But anyway, you get it. It's, it's like a, a literal use of the term. The guy's life was restored to him. But from those, that's why sometimes it's, it's nice just to see, okay, how is the word used in a literal sense? Then how is it used in a figurative sense? Because that's where we get revival from. But you see where it's coming from? That's why I tried to lay the foundation. It's the idea of life or then in the derivative sense, life being restored, renewed, recovered, or we get the derivative sense or the figurative sense of revival. So now let's look at three senses where the Bible, or three verses where the Bible uses this in a, in a spiritual type of a sense. Let's go to Psalm 85, verse 6. Once we see these verses, then we may refer back to them, but we, we maybe don't need to turn back again to them. So let's look at this one. Psalm 85, just come forward to the book of Psalms. We have a couple, three of these, and we're done. Psalm 85, verse 6. It's a verse I've preached on many times, a great verse. Here's what it says, Psalm 85, 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? So how does it help a little bit that we did a little bit of this study work? Because, okay, what's revival mean? It, well, it has to do with life, but we're really looking now at a, res a derivative sense, the idea of life being recovered, restored, renewed. And we get this spiritual application of revival. And the Bible really uses that term. That's the term you come across in the Bible. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? All right, let's go forward to our Isaiah 57. We looked at that. We'll just pause briefly on our way over to one other one. But we'll read our text again. It won't hurt us. Isaiah 57, 15, because now you're going to really see how we're not so much dealing with a literal sense of somebody coming back to life as much as we're looking at a spiritual application. Isaiah 57 and 15, For thus saith the high and holy one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, 
to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. One last one. Go to Habakkuk. So you say, "Uh uh-oh. All right, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So hopefully you can find that. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. This also is a verse that is often called out at times like this when we want to have an emphasis like this because truly it does use the word in a spiritual or a a figurative sense. Habakkuk verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. So, the answer to question number one is yes, the term is a biblical you term, and it's being used to describe something that God prescribes for his people. Are we okay so far? You agree? The Bible does use the word. It's biblical in nature, and it's talking about something that God prescribes that he wants to do. It's almost like a doctor writing a prescription. God says, this is good for you. Okay. Let's look at the next question. If revival is a biblical term, and hopefully we've set that one to rest, do we use it biblically? So we're used to using the word, but do we use it as the Bible uses it? And the answer to that, this won't take us nearly as much time, but the answer to that is yes and no. Probably the greatest sense in which we're we're taking maybe a little liberty with the term, it's not a problem really, but is the focus of revival because so often when we speak of revival meetings, we're thinking about soul winning and people getting saved. And more truly, that's the byproduct of revival. More truly, the focus of revival is not the lost because the lost don't have spiritual life. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. Isn't that right? Isn't that what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2? So you can't revive a corpse unless you're talking about resurrection. If a person is dead in his trespasses and sins, he doesn't need a revival. He needs vival. He needs to get life for the first time. How's he going to get that? Well, by being born again. By being born again. So revival is really something that is a term used to describe what God's people need. But we don't want to split hairs and make a big fuss over that. You know why? Because many times God is pleased to do both at the same time and we've experienced that right we've had special meetings before and you know I the way I look at it is I I don't get all excited about the fact that okay we can split hairs and say that the focus of revival is God's people and and soul winning is a byproduct of that people being saved is a byproduct of that and 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 we can be precise and technically correct nothing wrong with that but the truth of the matter is when we have meetings like this we should really be looking for both and the simple reason for that is, is that different folks who attend the meetings are in different places in their spiritual life. Some folks come and they're Christians and they really need a, a touch of revival. And other folks, they're all prepared for it. They've been praying about it in advance. They're close to God. And they've been really burdened about inviting people. And so they have people come out to the service and those people get saved. Well, they happen at the same time. Other people are Christians responding to the messages and getting right with the Lord. And other people have kind of taken care of that business in advance. And not that they don't come open to what God might show them in a fresh sense, but 
they've brought people, they've been praying for people. And many times people like that get saved. I want to tell you, one of the things that Will Galkin does, we, 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 we showed this last time, he asks us to do this. Uh, we've selected a date, a couple of weeks I think from now when we're planning to do this, but he has what he calls the Target 10. And we'll let you hear him. We'll show you his video where he talks about the Target 10. He talks about this very thing of praying about people, thinking about people, and beginning to pray for those people, and beginning to pray about the prospect of seeing them come to one of the meetings and hearing the gospel and being saved. So do we use it biblically? For the most part. Sometimes we kind of use it maybe to emphasize a particular aspect, but that's all right. It's, it's not doing any harm. Let's go to the third question. If revival has, is something God desires for us, what impact should we look for? So we, we said a while ago, yes, revival is a biblical term, so no reason for us to throw it away as long as we're not embarrassed by something that we shouldn't be embarrassed by. Right? I mean, because there is sometimes that happens. Sometimes people are embarrassed by things they should just be courageous about and not be embarrassed about. And I think we're more so true with revival there. It's a good term. There's really nothing wrong with it. Really not that many warts on it. It's just that we've kind of come to a day and time in uh, much of what's out there with Christianity where nobody really wants any strong preaching and nobody wants an altar call. Well, I don't think we're ready to back off of that, are we? If we are, I'm in the wrong place. And I think you know better than to think that I'm looking for trouble. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm more than willing to understand the best ways to reach people and to shy away from those things that create unnecessary offense. I'm just simply saying that revival is a biblical term. I don't think there's anything we need to be embarrassed about with that. But it is something God prescribes for his people, and if that's true, what impact should we look for? Well, this is not going to be a complete list. I simply want to give you two things. And they come sort of out of the verses, simple thoughts that come out of some of the verses we've seen so far. And the first things that the first thing I think we should look for in revival or expect is what, what is this that God wants to do for us? What is this that we need? What is it He's prescribing? God is the spiritual MD, and He says, You need this. So what do I need? Well, number one, I need renewed blessing. And the emphasis on the renewed, because that's what revival is. I need renewed blessing. Why? What happens? Well, Psalm 85, 6, we don't have to turn back to it. But it says, wilt thou not revive us again? You know, in church, this is almost like the question that men joke about sometime. You know, the wife, the wife always likes to hear her husband tell her he loves her. And the husband's already saying, I already told you that. You know, and, and men don't always get it, <laughs> you know. And so um, we kind of have to have our wives educate us and kind of figure out that's something that is a blessing to them and it's something that ministers to them. And just because we think they know it doesn't mean they don't like to hear us say it, right? We, man, we kind of have learned that or we're trying to. So renewed blessing. You'd think if you did it one time, wouldn't you be beyond that now? And the truth is, no, you aren't. Because why? Because as Christians, we just have a tendency in life to drift. We just do. And sometimes it's because we become negligent. Other times it's become because we've just hit some rough patch. We've had a lot of trouble, difficulty. Maybe you lose your job. I mean, there are just a lot of things that can get you into a rough patch. Sometimes people lose a loved one, and they just, they just can't come to grips with it. I mean, over the years, it's been 
mean, I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but it's it just something that I've noticed, and it's been always a, a grief to me, that sometimes you'll have a, a couple attending, and one of them passes away, and for whatever reason, the other one just can't come to grips with being in church without the spouse, and they just drop out. And it's not that I don't have sympathy for that. It's not that I don't understand it. It's just that I feel bad. I just really feel bad because they need their, still need their church family and still need the things that God can, can do for them through fellowship and through his word. So you feel bad. But no, we, we have things that come along in life and the first thing you know, we're, we're just not where we needed to be spiritually, not where we once were. And so we need renewed blessing. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? You don't have to turn. I'm going back to the book of Ezra and read you one or two other examples where I think you'll clearly see this, this idea of renewed blessing. This verse is from Ezra chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, which give us a couple of the other uses in the Old Testament. Um, Ezra is leading the people in a prayer of confession. And he says this, verse 8, And now for a little space grace hath been showed from God, the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in this holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. God's been pleased to pour out a renewed blessing upon his people after he's had to punish them and and send them into captivity and bring them back. Verse 9, For we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolation thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. See, that, see how it comes across as just something that God is prescribing for us in terms of we need a fresh blessing, and just a fresh touch from God. In Habakkuk 3 and verse 2, Wilt thou not revive thy work in the midst of the years? In the midst of the years make known, and wrath remember mercy. It's the same idea once again. Why? Because, as I say, sometimes we just drift. Other times we sin and become backslidden. But revival on whatever scale it comes, it's God speaks to us about these things. We respond. And when we respond, he pours out renewed blessing on us. Here's an interesting quotation from C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon said this, A genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or day dawn without light. God pours out renewed blessing upon us. And that brings me kind of to my second thought, which is renewed spiritual strength. Now, I also caught, I don't know if you did, the fact that in Mr. Rumberger's prayers today, both morning and evening, well, maybe in the morning he said it to me when we prayed in the office, he said it in his prayer there, I don't remember. But tonight he said it in his prayer publicly. He referenced that verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. Boy, that is really true. I mean, you hit that rough patch or whatever it is in your spiritual life, maybe it really is backsliding, and you've just sort of lost your joy. You, what do you lose when you lose joy? You lose your spiritual vigor. You lose your spiritual enthusiasm. You're just kind of moving along, getting by. 
Remember the time I told you I had a, a buddy in college days and, and especially in graduate years, and his nickname was Get By. Call him Get By Sims. And he laughed because he was in the unfortunate situation a lot of those guys were in that, you know, he had to work and he'd go to a, he'd go to a job and he just always didn't have time to, to get all his studies. And so he found himself in the position of having to get by a lot of times, just do whatever he could to get by. <laughs> so his nickname became Get By. And a lot of times that's what happens to us. You know, we're just sort of marking time in our spiritual life. We're really not growing. We're not encouraged. We're not... Uh, having the joy of the Lord and when we don't have the joy of the Lord we don't have spiritual strength this is what God wants to do for us in revival he wants to give us a fresh touch he wants to pour out fresh blessing upon us but he needs us to come to the place of blessing and he wants to give us renewed spiritual strength which comes with renewed joy why because we get right with God we get our we get our problems fixed to the best of our ability and then joy comes again this is where Spurgeon's comment comes in a genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or, or day dawn without light we return to our joy and we stop our griping do you ever notice, I mean, if you just sort of take your spiritual pulse, if you find yourself having drifted into a complaining mode, now we all do some, right? You do, right? I don't want to feel bad because I do some. I want to feel like I've got company. Uh, we all do some, and I'm not saying it's right either. I'm just saying I know we all do some. But if you find yourself and that's just kind of how you go through your day, all the time complaining, you can kind of figure you, you kind of lost your spiritual joy. Something's gotten in there, joy killer. Some kind of joy killer's gotten in there. And that really hurts. That just, you know, I, I don't know if they still do this or not, but a lot of you would know this. I, I went to a school that that was like the first thing you saw when you walked in, and it was on the back of every dorm room door. Griping is not tolerated. Boy, they meant it too. I mean, if you got a little out of hand and did a lot of that and kind of became known for that reputation, you'd get a couple chances to stop doing that and you'd, then you'd get a chance to go home. And they, they really meant business about that. Griping is not tolerated. Constructive suggestions or criticism appreciated. It's kind of the rough wording of that. So how can we prepare for revival? That's my last question for tonight. And we're doing pretty good here. How can we prepare for revival? I'll take us back to our text for point number one. There's two thoughts here. One is humility, and that's in our Isaiah 57, verse 15. And I don't know why God has laid it on my heart to talk as much about this recently because I had a prayer meeting message on it. It it was a lot of what was in this morning's message. By the way, you know, I I can always plead innocence, and and it's funny to say that, but I really mean it because I don't, um, I mean, I, I preach my messages as they come. I don't deviate from that unless it's a special occasion and I so I had that message I had this message this morning was a scheduled message and now I have this tonight in this text you can't get away from it Isaiah 57 15 for thus saith the high and lofty one that the one that inhabiteth eternity whose name is holy I dwell in the high and holy place so what is that saying says God I'm the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity I dwell in the high place but I also dwell isn't this amazing I also dwell with the person who is of a contrite and humble spirit 
So wow, if we really want a close walk with God, we're not going to have it if we are operating controlled by pride. Not that that can't get to us all sometimes, but if we're operating in, in controlled by that, that's not God. God resists the proud. He only gives grace to the humble. So God promises that he walks with people who are humble, who are of a contrite spirit. Even though he's high and holy and inhabits eternity, he dwells with a person like that. And he does it to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So I think for all of us, as I said this morning, from me in the front, there's nobody behind me now, so from me in the front to the last person in the back, if we want to be ready for revival, if we want to prepare our hearts, and we don't really have to wait for Will Galkin either, you know, if we can kind of identify that that's become an issue in our lives, well, we need to talk to God, and we need to try to do business with Him and get that fixed. And Second Chronicles 7.14 is a verse that we know very well. Um, if my people, which are called by my name, and what's the first step? Shall, yeah, it's right there. It's right there. I didn't say it. Shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I turn from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Number two is prayer. Before I say anything more about prayer, I want to tell you something. I was telling Jack Rehart this the other night over at the uh, sports it's a sports banquet, right? A sports, we call it. Sports banquet. And uh, we got to talking a little bit. And, uh, you know, this past week was the week that had Billy Graham's funeral. And I guess the funeral itself was ended up on Friday. And, uh, of course, he didn't die on Friday. It was before. And so different things you've seen in the news, if you kind of have been watching, I've just been interested in it. One of the things I mentioned to Jack was that I, w I had seen a thing, and I've seen it several times, so if you, if you look for it, you'd probably still find it or just search for it, but they had a little thing on Fox News, and it was from, the, you know, all these news places want to tell you about the exclusives. But they, they were saying it was a Fox News exclusive, but it was from an interview that they did with Billy Graham back in 2010. And when they did this interview in, in 2010, he was 92. So when he appeared on camera and the gentleman was asking him different questions I mean you could tell he's got some age uh, but he still highly uh, able to think and able to you know comport his words and tell you his thoughts and uh, the guy asked him about his calling and <laughs> I was so gratified because I brought that message and it was he said exactly the same thing he said you know I was on the 18th hole of a golf course near where I went to the Bible College in Florida, and I laid down on the grass by the 18th hole, and God spoke to his heart. And I, well, that's what I told folks in my message, too, so I guess that was the real thing. It really was so what Billy Graham went right to it. Then the interviewer asked him this question. He said, if you had anything to do over again, looking back on all of your years, you had anything to do over again, would you do anything differently? What he said was amazing, absolutely amazing. He said, I would travel less. I would accept fewer speaking engagements. And I would pray more. And I thought, wow. 
That's potent. I would travel less, accept fewer speaking engagements, and pray more. And then he went on to give the clincher because he said prayer is the heart of evangelism. Well, we don't seem to catch on to that in our earlier years, do we? We kind of start out with all the vim and vigor of trying to accept every invitation we're given and speak every time we get a chance and hope we can reach more and more people and speak to greater and greater. And you know, when you heard a lot of the things summarized and said about him, that they, they had the statistics about all the different people, how many people he's preached to and all that. And here he is at 92 saying, well, I would have traveled less, I would have accepted less speaking engagements, and I would have prayed more. And then he went so far as to say, because prayer is the key to evangelism. Well, I think he's on to something because Psalm 85, 6 is a prayer. Wilt thou not re- revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? The psalmist is a fervent cry of prayer for this. Tom Palmer can tell you stuff for hours upon hours about prayer and revival. I'll just tell you something a little old tw- about a 12-year-old boy. It's a 12-year-old boy was saved at a revival service. And later his friends were asking him about it, and one said, well, did you see a vision? (laughs) Another said, did you hear God speak? And the boy looked at his friends and just said no. So they said, well, how did you know you were saved? The boy said this, it's like when you catch a fish. You can't see the fish or hear the fish. You just feel him tugging on your line. I just felt God tugging on my heart. Tell you what, that's pretty good. Prayer is God, when we begin to pray, God tugging on our hearts, drawing us to himself. Prayer. Six weeks, Will Galkin. Six weeks from today, he's going to be in this pulpit. We'll be listening to all those people up here sing and hear special music and It'll be a blessing. It really will. But let's start right now by praying ourselves and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Not be be humble enough to come into God in prayer and say, well, Lord, I'd like to think I'm okay, but what do you want to show me? What am I not so great at? What am I doing that's not the best? And ask God, if we have that humble spirit, God will come and dwell with us. It's what he promises And above all, let's begin by focusing on ourselves and not worrying about other people. Not concentrating on somebody else in the church that we say, boy, he really needs revival. And you remember, and I close with this, the formula that evangelist, uh, Gypsy Gypsy Smith, the evangelist, gave one time when he was asked what the secret of revival is, and here's what he said. Go home, take a piece of chalk, Draw a circle around yourself. Then pray, O Lord, revive everything inside this circle. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your loving kindness. And Lord, as we think about these meetings coming up, Lord, we're just sinners. And we can't say Calvary Baptist Church doesn't need revival. In fact, what we ought to say is we do. We can't say we don't need revival. All we can really do is say that we're conscious of the fact that everybody can use a fresh touch from you. Everybody can use a fresh 
presence of the Holy Spirit to point out to us how we can be more godly, how we can be more Christ-like, how we can more effectively reach people for, for Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you would just use this message tonight as the beginning of the stirrings of our hearts and our minds and our thoughts so that as this meeting approaches, we'll get the, all of it out, all that we can get out of it, not only for ourselves, but for each, each other corporately and for those that we can reach out to. Everybody here can reach out to somebody and help us to, to be able to focus on that and know whom you might have us to pray about or invite. We'll thank you for what you do now in Jesus' holy name. Amen.